Our gospel reading for today comes from the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Like is so very often in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is on the way. In this case, he's on the way to Jerusalem, and you know what happens there. And in this case, Luke uses these opportunities to pour together a lot of his discipleship materials, the sort of what does it mean to live a good life here and now? What are the values that lead you on the way to Jerusalem, to the cross? On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Because he was a Samaritan. Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy God, help us give thanks. In these moments of sermons and scriptures and prayers and songs, may we lift up to you our hearts. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing unto you, for you are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. <coughs> thank you for the lovely thank you note. I imagine that Dana Butler Bass blinked a few times and then read that card in front of her one more time. Thank you for the lovely thank you note. Suddenly, a wave of emotions went over Butler Bass. What is this insanity? A thank you for a thank you? What kind of evil death spiral could begin by our world sending thank yous for thank yous? Where does it end? But that wave of emotions that began with anger quickly went to her own sense of shame and guilt and memories. Memories of her failure, because as a child, she fought tooth and nail with her mother about the need to write thank you notes at all. A battle that Butler Bass lost with her mother, and she always ended up writing them. But it's also a battle that then she lost many years later to her daughter who reluctantly sent out some thank you notes via email and some phone calls. But those attempts mostly stopped after the guilting and shaming from Diana Butler Bass stopped as well. Butler Bass admitted her defeat in this way. She said, is there DNA for ingratitude? For my daughter wound up like mother, and I felt bad that I had not done better as a parent. 
ingratitude. It's a large part of the gospel story that we hear today, at least at first watch. Jesus meets these 10 lepers, these 10 folks who have various skin diseases. Remember, biblical languages sort of popped together a lot of medical diseases that they didn't know how to distinguish at the time. But the social consequences of whatever those diseases were clear. Whatever the ailment, they became outsiders. Remember all the purity laws, so they weren't able to be touched. You couldn't work with them, mingle with them. And these folks were generally relegated to making a living by begging. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, they cry out, while keeping a distance, because that's what was expected. Jesus tells them to go to the priests, and on their way, they are healed. That's good news by itself. But then one, just one of the ten, stops, turns around, goes back to Jesus, loudly praising God. Remember that phrase. He falls at Jesus' feet and thanks him, and then here's the clincher that the narrator shares after letting you build your whole own mental image of what this person would have looked like, what they were wearing, that whole thing. All of a sudden, the narrator says, and he was a Samaritan. One of them? This is like an American hearing that the North Korean came back. Or some, insert your version of who the evil person is. The other nine, probably some mixture of Jews and Samaritans, being that they're along the border region, they're off. But that one supposedly evil guy shows up. Jesus says, where's everyone else? Did no one come back to give praise to God? Except this guy, this foreigner, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, I am grateful to God for the wondrous miracles that happen every day. This can be a story about healing or salvation, depending on how you interpret that Greek word. And it is hard to figure out. But the structure of the passage makes clear that it's not just about healing. If it were, the story would end with, on their way, they were cleansed. Period. But then the Samaritan of all people returns, gives thanks to God, and Jesus hits us with yet another powerful question. Where are the others? Because this is a story about gratitude. Now, you all read newspapers. You know that this is supposed to be a good thing. You're supposed to give thanks and write thank you notes and do X amount of grateful things before you go to bed to increase your psychological well-being. You've read all of that. And so you'll forgive me. And you'll forgive us. And over these next four weeks as we go through the sermon series, A Thankful Life, that as pastors we have this Herculean effort to vault over these cultural understandings that we have in the West about gratitude, to try and find something with deeper roots. Forgive us when we trip on our springboard, even experienced pole vaulters fall at times. But it's clear from the scripture that what we experience as gratitude is a cultural value significantly different from the witness of scripture. 
point and case diagram one, Moana. Yes, that Moana, Disney's Moana. This hit film is loosely based on several Polynesian stories. It has Moana, this young girl becoming a confident woman as she searches for the cure to the plague that's invading her island's agriculture. After being at sea for a little while, totally unable to handle this raft at the time, she meets this demigod, Maui. And we get from Maui an exaggerated example of what we know about Western conceptions of gratitude. Maui is wildly braggadocious. He's been trapped on an island for hundreds of years, so didn't have very good manners. And while he's ironically rescued by Moana, he communicates an anti-narrative through his hit song that says, and you can sing along if you know it, so what can I say except you're welcome for the islands I pulled from the sea. There's no need to pray, it's okay, you're welcome. Ha! I guess it's just my way of being me. You're welcome, you're welcome. And I'll s save you the rap part of it. Kid, honestly, I could go on and on. I could explain every natural phenomenon. Because Maui is funny because he points to the problem. We expect that good people, ethical people, are people who say thank you for deeds done at their benefit. Good people reciprocate with, you're welcome. That's what good people do. But you're welcome is part of a politeness formula. A phrase that usually involves little of our true emotional energy and mostly acts for a script that demonstrates meaning regardless of the emotions behind it. Take diagram two, my interaction with the cashier at Einstein Bagel this morning. I got my coffee cup and she said, can I get you anything else? And I said, no thank you ma'am. And she swung her head from me to the next person in line and said, you're welcome, how can I help you? <laughs> to them. Now, I could get outraged because she offended my politeness formula. But she has to respond to folks like me all day long. It's a business transaction involving the exchange of a paper cup and paper money. She doesn't need to feel anything at all towards me. And as I'm sharing this story, you're starting to think about your different retail experiences you've had where people shared your welcome half-heartedly or not at all. I hope you'll give them more compassion. But I don't think that's a problem you're going to have for much longer. According to an article I read in the Huffington Post and according to Jean Burko Gleason, who's the professor emerita in the Department of Psychology and Brain Sciences at Boston University, that phrase, you're welcome, is going by the wayside. Welcome, in some form, has been used since the 1600s, but the first written down use we have is the 1907 Oxford Dictionary of your welcome, that second person pronoun stuck on there. And we know there were others that came before it, and there are certainly others that are coming of age now. So let me ask you, what do you get if any of you spent time in any high-end hotels and you say thank you? What does someone working there say to you? We get no problem. Oftentimes, they are trained to say, certainly, according to some hotel branding pages I saw. 
How about Chick-fil-A? Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Now how about via text message? Has anybody actually seen the words written out, you're welcome, via text message? No worries, no problem, which is more common nowadays in spoken vernacular, or even increasingly more common, what do you get? A big old thumbs up emoji. Because these things aren't about gratitude per se, it's about, and it's barely about politeness, it's usually about some kind of culturally agreed upon script, and as Gleason shows us, it's important, it's good to know in society that I'm starting a conversation with you, and now this conversation is ending. These formulas can be good and helpful. But Dana Butler Bass points to a bigger problem underlying these shifts that cause anger among so many frustrated and disappointed with the breakdown of the politeness formula of white 20th century America. First, Diana Butler Bass tells us in her book, Grateful, the first problem is the gratitude prosperity gospel, in which some of us reading about the new science of gratitude believe that if we say thank you enough times, health and wealth will befall us. Just as if we can imagine God saying, oh, Eric, Look at him. He said thank you ten times today. I'm gonna, for all those extra thank yous, I'm going to send you some extra special blessings. Bless his heart. Thank you in this way becomes a magic mantra which leads to spiritual goodness. But the second and deeper problem points out our transactional market-based culture. Gratitude has become cheap because it's based on duty and demand. Notice in our imaginary retail situations, we analyze the quality of the cashier's gratitude by the quality of their response to us, or more likely, how well do they match our preferred politeness formula. Butler Bass critiques this culture by saying, if someone gives you a gift, you must return the favor. You owe a debt. Duty-based gratitude is emotionally empty and causes resentment. It's easy to suspect that benefits are given to exert control by or forge loyalty to an unscrupulous benefactor. Obligatory gratitude rarely has a heart. Rather, it breeds contempt and fosters injustice. In a real way, duty and debt cheapen gratitude to a social or political indenture. And I'd add, after my reflection this morning, an indenture that we expect most from our service economy, where it's often the poorest of our world who receive the ire of our white Western formulas. Who are the people we're most angry at? The poorest were forced to stand behind the cashier and say, you're welcome, or receive the ire of our anger. Now clearly gratitude is not about what you say when someone gives you something. And Jesus points us to a truer way. Remember when the Samaritan leper is healed, he turns around and scripture says, 
praises God with a loud voice. He has a lot of reason to give personal thanks back to Jesus. But that statement, and then Jesus' response shows us that there's something bigger than just saying thank you for a debt. Because what Jesus says was, none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. Did none of them be found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus didn't say, why didn't anybody come back and say, you're welcome to me? Jesus said, why didn't any of them come back and give praise to God? Because praising God is about as clear a visible sign of the invisible forces of gratitude on a person's soul that I can imagine. Jesus didn't want thanks. He expected praise to the source of life. Diana Butler Bass calls this an emphasis on communal gratitude. See, Christians see this in those that we know who know that not a single iota of their lives were not to be if it were not for the grace of God. You know those folks in your life, right? Those folks who just have the sense and the awareness of the presence of God everywhere. The key is not to box this God in as just a person who's making decisions about giving some things to some people and some things to others. This is where our metaphors of God's blessings sometimes break down. But other contemplative traditions, regardless of their belief in God per se, have refined this communal gratitude. So it's not just about saying thanks for what you receive from other people. It's a posture of gratitude towards the entirety of creation which is often signified by a sense of wonder and awe. And you know those people too. Folks who have developed the secret to the spiritual life have learned to feel those formulas in each moment of their lives. Diagram three. How magnificent that I should be sitting on this 495 interstate, albeit with an additional 30 minutes of commute time. Ugh. But look at the size, the vastness of this infrastructure that gets me home safely. Think about the hundreds and thousands of people it took to provide me this opportunity that I could drive to more further locations than anybody in history on a daily basis so I could have a higher quality of life and go back and forth with my family. How fortunate am I? How blessed? Because blessing is not about indenture. It's about acknowledging that back and forth flow of reality that we have the privilege of participating in. Butler Bass quotes Robert Emmons, who says, gratitude takes us outside of ourselves where we begin to see ourselves as part of a larger, intricate network of sustaining relationships, relationships that are reciprocal. Dinah Butler Bass felt this phenomenon most acutely at her daughter's high school graduation from West Potomac High School, because they live right over here in Fairfax County. She said, our little nuclear family group seems so contained, so introverted, and so northern European 
surrounded as we were by huge clans of people from Latin America and Africa. When the band struck up the entrance march and the students began filing into this graduation ceremony, huge roars went up from the crowd. This is more like World Cup soccer than any high school graduation in my experience. When they called out the graduates by name, nearly everyone ignored the directive to hold their applause. Instead, families hooted and whistled, waved banners, made a ruckus of praise for their son or daughter. I knew the exercises would be long, but I never guessed they would be so loud. At first, I felt uncomfortable. My husband, perhaps sensing this, said, Notice, almost every group that cheers is an immigrant family. I bet their children are the first to graduate from an American school. He went on, for some of these folks, the students might be the very first to ever go so far in school, and that's the whole reason they came here. They're noisy because they are so grateful. Although we certainly could not survey every family where we were sitting, it appeared he was right. We weren't just at a graduation. We were sitting in an arena of thanksgiving. where hundreds of people were feeling grateful together. Some were thankful a son or daughter did well and anticipated the new adventure of college ahead. For them, graduation was a, a growing up marker. However, others seemed wildly grateful for the single moment as an all-out celebration for a goal achieved, the fruit of a family sacrifice, the reward of a new life in a place of safety and success, the fulfillment of a dream. As I watched all these new Americans rejoice, my soul moved from discomfort to appreciation. I felt thankful for the school district and teachers who made this miracle happen, for this good use of our taxes, for the neighborhood that is home for all of us. As more and more graduates came forward, the crowd got louder and louder, and eventually a kind of uninhibited thankfulness swept everyone, including our small family, into its chorus. When the last name was called, the graduates threw their caps in the air and released primal whoops of joy. Families jumped from their seats, shouting bravo and pumping fists into the air. People poured out of the exits, hugging one another, laughing and crying and taking pictures. And amid the thousands, a spontaneous litany emerged what a great day. We're so proud of you. Mom and dad, thanks so much. And thank you, Jesus. I give thanks to God that church, for me at least, is like high school graduation every Sunday. We get to come to hear our children lead us in song and liturgy, and we don't care whether or not they're perfect. If that's what you want, you've missed the point, folks. We do this because we are reminded of the blessing of life that we're all involved in. And I see in those children myself, when I was a young boy stumbling over the words of the psalmist in front of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Joliet, Illinois, those lovely saints who let me choke on my words, talk too fast sometimes, squawk as I sang my first solos, 
suffered my young adult theological wrestlings when they came back from college break, all because they were people of gratitude to their God. Those relationships which came before them and presently, those relationships in that church that kept them afloat. Even as I preach, I know you will remember very little of what I say today. You're a human just like me. But I know that if we've done our job right, what you will remember is that feeling of communal and immense divine gratitude in which you recognize the God that surrounds you, the Christ that cares for you, and the spirit that sustains you your whole life long. We need pledges to sustain this work of thankful lives. But more importantly, we need all of y'all showing up and helping to create this culture of divine gratitude. I'm so blessed to work with all of you who remind me daily of that communal gratitude. Those of you who remind us that tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day. And as we take that day off, I give thanks for the Nacotchtank and Acostin and Piscataway people who lived here before the Europeans. And you can go to my Facebook page to see how the show On Being is learning how to give thanks for the Native people who came before them on their web presence. I'm thankful to our liturgist, our announcers, our Minute for Missions, all of us who remind us that leadership of the faith has happened for generations this way, not just by paid professionals, but by all of us speaking up about our faith. I am so grateful to be a part of you. I pray that somehow we will continue to be a blessing together. I end with this poem from pastor and poet Steve Garnas Holmes. The Samaritan, the foreigner, the outsider, not accustomed to being treated well, not burdened with a sense of entitlement. How often I expect life to go well because, well, I'm a good person and I deserve it. How we privileged folks take our blessings for granted. What if I were to shed that arrogance, lay down the burden of expecting everything to be fine, and greet every grace with wonder and amazement? I'd spend my life at the feet of Jesus. I'd burst into flames, a burnt offering of thanksgiving. I'd be glad, always. Every breath, I'd start again. Every moment would become miraculous. I'd become impervious to heartache. I'd spend my life dancing. What am I waiting for? What are you waiting for, saints? May that grace, that communal gratitude fill your lives this day and forevermore. Amen. Give thanks with a grateful heart.
Because we are given Jesus. We have received so many good things. And so we give back. We give back to God with our time, with our talents, and our morning's tithes and offerings.